0: We are in week two of our series, Rough Crowd. And I gotta tell you, right off the bat, okay? uh, You know how there's some stories, there's some people in the Bible, there's some verses that just kind of stick with you and they mean a little more and they kind of hit you differently, right? This story of Joseph is it for me. This is my favorite story outside the life of Jesus in the entire Bible. I'm excited to speak this this morning. And so I need to know from my church that you guys are excited too. Are we ready? That's what I love to hear. Now, Joseph, we learned last week, we kind of covered his family history. He is a 17-year-old when the story picks up, and his father, Jacob, has 13 kids from four different wives. And Joseph is, uh, again, in this family that's filled with just generations of lying, of deceit, of favoritism, and he's experienced that because Joseph himself is the favorite, And his dad didn't hide it very well. He treated him better than all his brothers. He even gave him this uh, special colored robe, right, that kind of signified status and his privileged birthright and and all these different things. And Joseph, he's probably wearing that with some pride, right? He's a cocky teenager. He's wearing it around, you know, making sure everyone sees that dad loves him more. And then Joseph had two dreams, that pretty much told a a similar story. And it seems that his brothers and his family will one day bow down to him. And he told that to his brothers and to his dad. They didn't take it very well. They didn't like that dream. They didn't like the idea of him being uh, or him ruling over them. And so he communicates that to them. And in the 11 verses that we read last week, three separate times, verse 4, 5, and 8, Three separate times, it says that his brothers hated Joseph. But I want to look this morning and see a theme of, like, what's the root of that hatred? They don't just hate him because they're angry and odd. I don't like that kid. The root we see in the last verse that we read last week, verse 11. It says, His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So his dad, he didn't like the dream, but he didn't fully dismiss it. But his brothers... We're jealous of him. And jealousy, uh, if we define it, it's this feeling, and we all kind of know what this means, but it's this feeling of discontentment because of someone else's possessions or qualities. Discontentment because of someone else's possessions or qualities. And so we're going to finish this chapter, chapter 37 this morning. And spoiler alert, things don't go well. (laughs) All right? The family doesn't uh, improve. They don't reconcile. Everything isn't. Man, it just uh, they solve everything. It gets worse. And before we get into it, I want to realize the source of his brother's feelings towards him. They're jealous. And I want to challenge us in the same area. And so to frame our morning, uh, I want to uh, communicate three points about jealousy that fits with the story. And I want us to understand as we move forward. And there are three C's. Okay, so hopefully they're easy to remember. Okay, and I'll just tell you where we're going. Jealousy starts with comparison, jealousy resents our creator, and jealousy ends with celebration. I'll explain what all that means in a little bit. But first, jealousy starts with comparison. Like this is how Joseph's brothers got to this point of being jealous. They compared their lives and what they had with Joseph, his life and what he had. And they didn't like how that matched up. And I don't know about you guys, but Have you ever realized how easy it is to be jealous? Anyone? Like uh, Kevin mentioned this past week that some of us went to like a church leadership conference in California and the entire week, uh, I I struggled with this sin of jealousy and it started even before we took off on the runway. Okay, because everyone knows you go to the airport and you go through security, you check your luggage, you're boarding the plane, and when you're headed to your seat, which is the second last row in the back of the plane, who do you pass? First class, right? Those people, and it's like, okay, well, man, I instantly something just triggered in my mind. I'm jealous. It's like they they've already been on the plane for ten minutes. They half of them are sleeping and comfortable already. They got way more leg room. Their chairs recline further back. They get food every twelve minutes. And uh, when is it? When did it become a thing? Like, that it's normal to receive hot towels. Like, can we not wash our hands as grown adults? Is that? It? It's, I, I'm just jealous. And then we get to the church where the conference was, and man, wouldn't it be nice if this was our building? Like, wouldn't it be nice if this was a campus that we went to every day? Man, that was a great sermon. Why, why can't I speak like that pastor? Why can't I be funny like that guy? Or man, the, you know what? This rental car sure drives smoother than mine back home. Or this weather, it's a little more consistent than Ohio weather. Wouldn't this be nice? Or the view from this house that we're staying in this week, it's sure better than mine. And don't get me wrong, I love looking at the Lindsay Water Tower in my backyard, but (laughs) San Diego, it's just better. Like the view, the beach, it's it's, it's superior. And then I realized, wow, I am really bad at surfing. (laughs) But you know who's not bad? That guy, about 100 yards that way don't know his name, don't know what he does, but I want to be like him because I want to impress people. I want to be skilled like he is. And the list goes on and on and on. And for me, those are just new examples in the past seven days. Every day we are faced with this temptation to be jealous or envious of other people and desire what they have, or or we don't want them to have more than us. And we all know, right, all we have to do to even get in the mindset of being jealous, get our phones out, start scrolling, right? And we go on Instagram, we go on Facebook. We are constantly reminded that our lives don't match up and we often compare other people's best, their post worthy moments to our entire lives. And it starts with comparison, but we're tempted to be jealous in so many things. Maybe for you, it's, I, I still have all this debt, but they are financially set. They're comfortable. Or you know what, I'm still single, I wanna be married like them. Or I'm jealous of this relationship that they have that I'm not really as close to this person as I wanna be. Or you know what, their house is nicer, their car is nicer, their job just seems to be more satisfying, more fulfilling. Man, I wish I could look more like them, I wish my lifestyle could be more like them, I wish my paycheck would be more like theirs. All these different things. And I think what's often scary is this sin of jealousy it's kind of viewed as kind of one of the smaller sins, something that we can often dismiss and and it's just yeah, but that's not what the Bible communicates. Proverbs 27:4 shows that jealousy is way more damaging than we realize. It says, Wrath is fierce, and anger is a flood. But who can stand before jealousy? He's saying, Anger, it's tough. Wrath tough, but jealousy has more potential for destruction, and we're going to see why in the story of Joseph this morning. So we pick up the story from from last week in verse 12. Here's what it says. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel, just another name for Jacob, so Joseph's dad, said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I'll send you to them. And he said to him, I'll go. Then he said, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers, welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So right off the bat, his brothers are out there working, and where's Joseph? He's at home, right? He's spoiled. He's the favorite. He doesn't have to work like they do. And so he is given this uh, assignment to go to Shechem, which is about 50 miles north of where they lived. And Joseph was uh, given the job of, hey, go check on them, bring word back to me, see how they're doing. So Jacob, you know, sends him on this job, not realizing that Joseph will never return home. And so he leaves and he starts looking for him and he ends up in Shechem uh, in verse 15. It says, a man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brother's. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They've moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan.'" So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So he arrives at Shechem, but something's not right. They're they're not there. And he clearly looks lost, so much so that someone else notices and uh, asks, Hey, what are you looking for? Okay, may, I, I don't know if you guys are like this, but when I go to like a bigger city, maybe it's, uh, you know, Chicago or New York, I'm one of those people that you can clearly tell as a tourist. Like, if you just kind of watch the streets, you can tell, hey, who's from Chicago and who's not? You guys know what I mean? If you're from the town, what are you doing? You're going straight. You're not even looking at traffic because you know how it works. You got earbuds in. You're, but, but me... I can't get anywhere without Siri telling me where to go. I'm just looking up amazed. Like, I look clearly lost, right? Joseph, same thing. He is aimlessly wandering, looking for his brothers. And this gentleman asks, hey, what are you looking for? I'm trying to find my family, my brothers. He says, they're not here. Keep moving forward. They're in a town called Dauphin. And that's about 15 miles more of what he's already traveled. And this guy seems, I won't spend too much time here. This guy seems a little... Um, well-placed, but here we even see God's hand in the situation progressing this forward. So he keeps moving and finds finds them at Dothan. Verse 18, when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer now then, come and let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then, let us see what will become of his dreams. They've had enough. They can spot that stupid colored robe a mile away, and all of them are feeling the same emotions towards him. Oh, here comes the dreamer. Like, here's daddy's boy. Can, can you believe that he actually thinks that he's going to rule over us? Can you? He just thinks that the world, the sun, moon, and stars, everything revolves around him. And as he's approaching, it says that they plotted against him. And this word plot, it doesn't just mean to plan, like, oh, let's plan a fun day. No, it means like an evil plan. Like they are cunning, they're deceptive, they are scheming against him. And again, they're, they're probably all talking, and he's probably here to snitch on us again, take it back to dad and get us in trouble. We gotta do something about this kid. And then one brother probably just says, all right, well, what if we do? What if we kill him? And the idea probably sounded crazy at first, but the more they talked it out, it's like, oh, wait, well, hold on, we can do this. We're more than 60 miles from home. We're in the middle of the desert. I mean, we can throw him in one of those pits. They'll never find his body. And then another brother probably says, okay, we do that. Then what do we tell dad? Uh, We can tell him an animal ate him. An animal ate him and devoured him. Uh, Guys, this could work. And before you knew it, before you know it, they've worked themselves up into this frenzy, willing to commit a crime that they probably would not do on their own. But isn't that how it works? Like maybe you guys have experienced the same thing. There are things whether they're sinful or just plain stupid, that, <laughs> that we shouldn't do. And if we're by ourselves, we wouldn't do it. But if we're with other people, maybe we're influenced them or they sway us or we're just kind of, you know, feeding off them or following the crowd. Um, you know, we're kind of encouraged to do those things. I'm sure if I went around and asked every single one of you, hey, finish the sentence. This one time, my friends and I fill in the blank. <laughs> Would anyone have any stories? Okay, some of your laughs and smiles are telling me, yeah, I got stories, I just can't tell them in church, right? Like, that's true because people probably influenced you. It's something you wouldn't do alone. And so here, they've become this angry mob. Like, they're ready to murder. And this is the rough crowd that Joseph is opposing and finds himself in. And notice their intentions, the last part of the verse They wanna kill him, and then it says, let us see what will become of his dreams. And here I wanna mention our second point about jealousy. That it starts with comparison, but jealousy also resents our creator. And here's what I mean by this. Jealousy, um, it starts with comparison and it divides us. That it puts us in competition with people, even if they don't know it. it. It's a me versus them mentality. And that's what the brothers are doing. It's them versus Joseph. But when we dig a little deeper, their ultimate problem isn't with Joseph. It's with God. They think that it's wrong for Joseph to receive that kind of authority. And so they want to do everything in their power to stop it. And so they may not even realize it. They're not even directly saying it. But they were resentful, not only with Joseph, but they're resentful towards God. As they try to stop this God-given dream that Joseph has. And the reality is that God gets to choose what to give his creation. God decides, man, how to gift and how to bless people however he wants to. And so when we're jealous, what we're really doing is questioning God and his authority. God, why didn't you make me look like them? God, why didn't you bless me with that job? God, why is she way more talented than I am? God, why am I struggling with this sickness, illness all the time, and he is completely healthy? God, are you telling me that, that they deserve kids more than we do? Like, we've been trying for, for so long. God, why didn't you give me a family like theirs? Mine's crazy. God, why, why did you do that? And we kind of begin to think that God is either withholding from us or he doesn't want good for us, or he's out to get us. But the truth is that he knows best, but we question that. And this means that jealousy, our, our problem isn't with the gifts, it's with the giver. And I'll explain it this way, all right? Um, let me, I got a few Grace FTA mugs here. Let's say I called three of you up here. I'm not going to really do it, but hypothetically, let's say I, I called three of you up here. And the, the goal or the job is you choose one cup, whatever you pull out of that cup, it's your prize. Like it's something that you walked in not having, it's all grace, you didn't earn it, but I'm gonna give it to you, okay? And I call you up first and you are up here and you choose, all right, man, this is, this is great, I love church. Okay, so, and you decide, all right, I'll go with the middle one, see what we got here. Wow, all right, we got, two grants, make a Benjamin. That's $100. Some of you are like, I need to fill out that Connect card and get that FTA mug. (laughs) Okay. I don't know anyone that would be disappointed with this gift. Can we all agree? Good gift. You can pay a bill, take your family out to, to a meal. Great. Awesome. You're stoked. That's you. Now let's say a second person comes up and they have uh, they get to choose something, and so they have two options left. All right, let's go with the left one. And here's what they choose, if I can get it out of there. Man, it is, what is this? A fully paid trip to Hawaii for you and a friend? Wow, this is great. Man, this is the best church service I've ever been to, right? If you if you win this, is anyone excited? Yeah. Okay, great. I would be too. You'd probably be thinking, wow, Mike should speak more often. And I would concur, but... Um, but, but listen, great gift. Now, if you were the person that won the $100, if you're anything like me, how would you be feeling in this moment? I want that gift. Like, I, I want to go to Hawaii, okay? What you once valued wasn't, it's not as special anymore because you're comparing it to someone else. And just to communicate the, po- the point further, let's say the third person comes up and you're going, all right, well, I mean, hundred bucks, Hawaii, it's gotta be something good. And they get, if I can get it on there, a payday. (laughs) Okay, not as good as the other two. You know, if you win this payday, you're like, oh, that's a bummer. But it's whatever, it's free, I'll take it. Now, your hundred dollars doesn't look so bad, right? Isn't it crazy how your gift doesn't change but yet when you compare it to other people, your perspective on it changes. The gift doesn't change, but yet when you look at someone who has more, you feel bad about yourself and you're resentful towards them and God. But then you look at someone else who has less than you, you're grateful and say, man, all right, I don't have it that bad. Like jealousy in itself doesn't make sense because it changes from person to person. And that's what we have to understand because here's what we're ultimately saying when we're jealous is that my life would be better if I had what they had. My life would improve if I just had that or they didn't have that. And that's saying that the person who gave you these things didn't do that great of a job. First Corinthians four tells us that there is nothing that we have that we were not given. God provides everything for us. It's all grace. And so when we are jealous or envious, we question his wisdom, his decision-making, his authority. So like I said, the problem isn't with the gifts that we have. It's with the giver. It points to a deeper problem. And that's why jealousy is so dangerous that it alters our view of God. And we see the effects of it play out in the story. So remember, Joseph is walking, he found his brothers, he's um, headed towards them, and they're hyped up, they're ready to kill him. But one of his brothers, the oldest one, Reuben, was the only one who had pity on Joseph. Verse 21, it says, But Reuben heard this, and rescued him out of their hands, and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. And he's thinking to himself that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So Reuben had a plan of his own. He's like, I'm a, you know, hey, don't kill him, uh, just throw him in this pit. Like, just let him sit there a while, let him starve, do whatever you want, but don't kill him. And his plan is he's gonna come back later and hopefully get Joseph out of the pit, take him back to Jacob. And there's a good chance that Reuben had some hidden motives here. Okay, if you remember from last week, uh, Reuben is for sure not the favorite son to Jacob. Uh, A couple of chapters earlier, when Jacob was dealing, uh, actually going to bury his wife, Rachel, that while he was gone, Reuben slept with one of Jacob's other wives. So Reuben slept with his stepmom, and again, messy family. But Jacob... Didn't love that, okay? He wasn't, didn't uh, view Reuben in the best light after that. And so maybe he's thinking, man, I've already screwed up. I cannot get blamed for this. Like, I want to get back on good terms with dad. And so guys, don't kill him, don't shed blood. Just teach him a lesson. And finally, Joseph gets to his brothers. Verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic The very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty, without any water in it. They wasted no time. They took him by force, snatched his robe, and threw him into a pit. And this pit would have been a uh, like a water cistern meant to hold water for the dry months. And these, you know, they're hollowed out of the ground, and 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 they've been known to be up to twenty or twenty-five feet deep. It's a long fall, and. It doesn't have any water in it, so he won't drown. So that's a positive. But it's still going to hurt a little bit. And after all this, like imagine Joseph. He's getting hit, mocked, stripped, falling 20 feet to the ground. And after all this, the brothers do that. And you're probably wondering how they're feeling. Like, what are they up to? What's their mindset? Verse 25, it says, Then they sat down to eat a meal. I read this, and I think, how calloused do you have to be to not only want to kill your brother, throw him in a pit, leave him for dead in the middle of the desert, but then have seemingly no remorse about it. That they do this, they beat him up, they throw him in there, and then they sit down for lunch like it's a normal day. And so, again, we, we hear this, and even later in the story, we find out that Joseph, during this time, was pleading, was begging to be saved. The brothers said, uh, the Bible tells us kind of them reflecting on the story, it says that they saw the distress of his soul. They saw the panic on his face. They saw the fear in his eyes. They heard his screams, and they did it anyway. They heard him begging to be saved. They knew it was wrong, but they said no. And so we might look at them, his brothers, and, and think, how could anyone do that? Like, who could be that cold? Who could be that numb towards their own family? And let me answer that. Any one of us. They are not more evil than, than me or any one of us or anyone at that time. This is a result of decision after decision of willingly giving in to their sin of constantly refusing to obey God. And so the root is this jealousy that was stored up for a long time. They didn't deal with it, they just bottled it up, kept it inside, and this hatred, it started in their mind, it was internal, but then when it came out and it impacted their actions, it was ugly. And our sin, if we allow it, our sin can have the same effect on us. Because sin always takes you further than you want to go. I'm guessing that when they were kids, playing in the backyard, you know, having their family cookouts, whatever they're doing, you know, 10 years prior to this, his brothers aren't thinking, I'm going to murder that kid one day. They didn't. They probably never imagined them getting to that level. But it's because. Time after time, decision after decision, they said no to God. And they continued in this sin. And, um, and so they're eating. They're, they're numb to, to doing the right thing. They're enjoying their food. And verse 25 tells us what happens next. It says, As they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, "What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh." And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers they pulled him uh, they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt." So Judah, one of the, the brothers, steps up as a spokesman. He says, guys, what are we doing here? Like what do we gain from, from killing him? Okay, yeah, should we get rid of him? But shouldn't we like make a profit off of him? Wouldn't that be better? And so what saves Joseph's life is their greed. The only thing that changed their mind is that they wanna make a quick buck. And Judah is showing nothing but self-interest. He is selfish in this moment. And listen, I don't know if you caught it. Listen to how twisted his, his morals are here. Okay, he says in the verse that we just read, let's sell him, not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Isn't that crazy? Like he's, now he decides to have a heart. He says, you know what? He is our brother. He is our own flesh, our own family. Like, okay, we won't murder him. We'll just sell him into slavery. Like it just doesn't add up. And you see this effect that jealousy has on him that built over time. And so they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. It's a little more than two years wages for a shepherd. And God uses a band of traitors to save Joseph. And off to Egypt he went. In the last few verses we'll read, we'll finish the chapter. It says, now Reuben returned to the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. So Reuben, at the time they sold Joseph, he must have been gone. He comes back hoping to find Joseph to rescue him, to get him out of the pit. And he finds it empty. And he's thinking, well, that's, my shot is gone. Like, there's no way dad is ever gonna forgive me after this. And the brothers, you see their scheme, they cover their sin with more sin, lies with more lies. And they uh, took Joseph's robe, covered it in blood, sent it back to dad and said, hey, is, is this Joseph's? And when Jacob believes that his favorite son died a violent death. He loses it. So says he begins weeping that he is uncontrollably, uh, he's, he's not willing to be comforted. He says the only thing that will make me happy is when I can be reunited with my son after death. No matter what happened, he refuses to be comforted. And this is where we pause in the story for the morning. And so, this moment, this already divided family was shattered and things seemed hopeless. But I, I want to remind us from the brothers that, that caused this, it stems from jealousy. And so, you're probably thinking, All right, I got it. Don't be jealous. Don't kill your baby brother. It's destructive. I got it. I've learned my lesson. I won't do that. But what do we do? Like, how do we actually solve? This sin, or how do we honor God in? Yeah, you know, instead of feeling envious, what do we do? The third and final point is that jealousy ends with celebration. Jealousy ends when we choose to be content with what we have, even when others have more than us. And so, uh, I can kind of say that and. And just tell you, hey, celebrate. But how do you actually do that? So, I want to give you a few practical ways, a few things that you can do for homework to actually apply this to your life, all right? The first thing is reflect on what God has done for you. Simply reflect on the good that God has done in your life. Like, have you ever actually sat down and just take an inventory of all the, the blessings, the people, the moments, the things in your life that God has graciously given you and say, God, thank you. Uh, that I have a church family, that I have a family that I can go home to, that I have a home, God, that you provide for me, that I'm, all these things that we can point to and say, God gave me this, God gave me this, and be thankful and celebrate. And don't just think about them. I would encourage you to write them down. And if you actually go and list, try to list everything that you're thankful for, it will change your perspective. Because it's so easy to compare And to get discouraged on what we don't have or what others have that you don't. But don't believe for a second that God made a mistake or that you deserve more than someone else. God loves us and God provides for us. And the greatest way that he's done that is providing an avenue that we could be saved and forgiven of our sins. That I deserve hell for eternity because I've sinned against a holy, eternal perfect God and he sent Jesus to die for my sins and when I trust in him that his when I have faith that his death and resurrection is enough that's uh, Bible says that we're forgiven we have eternal life and call me crazy but that's reason to celebrate (laughs) the Bible gives us the greatest reason that we can celebrate that we don't have to look and be discouraged and let someone else's life impact ours to that degree but we can celebrate, celebrate and be thankful for what he's done ultimately through Jesus because it's through him that we have everything we need. So the first thing is just reflect on the good that God has done. The second is that when you're jealous of someone, pray for them. Pray specifically for them. So not only pray, God, would you change my heart? Would you help me to see them uh, and, and not be jealous, but encourage them, but serve them? But pray that whatever you're jealous about, that God would give them more. God, give them more joy, give them more health, give them more success, give them more uh, babies and a bigger family, like whatever you're jealous of. God, give them more and help them to steward it well, but also pray that God, give them more faith, give them more obedience, give them more integrity, give them more of you. I want to see them succeed. And when we do that, we'll focus on God as a solution rather than those things, and we'll see those people differently. So pray for them. And the third, I would, uh, third way I would encourage this is don't celebrate in silence. Don't celebrate in silence. And here's what I mean, don't keep it to yourself, that if you genuinely wanna be happy and celebrate with people and for people, tell them, like go out of your way to make a connection. I'm not just saying like their Facebook post and comment, congratulations, like make a connection, text them, call them, on the very thing that you're jealous about. That maybe you're jealous of, okay, um, you know what? They got this promotion and I wish I got it. I wish I was doing this well in my job, but congratulate them and say, hey, heard about the news. Keep up their good work. Maybe you're jealous of where someone is at spiritually. Hey, I just wanna let you know that, that you've been an encouragement to me. I appreciate that. Or you know what? You're jealous of someone's talents or abilities. Hey, God has gifted you. Thanks for letting him Work through you. Man, I'm jealous of uh, this person's family. They just seem like they have it all together. Text them, call them, have lunch with them. Say, hey, you're doing a great job raising your family. Like, that's awesome. Allow God to use you even more. Maybe you're jealous of a trip or vacation or just somebody's lifestyle. Call them and say, man, that trip looked awesome. How was it? Like, whatever you're jealous of, don't let that get in the way of your own contentment that we have in Jesus. And so the question is, who is it? Who is someone in your life that you struggle with? Man, I I, I see them, and I naturally want to compare myself to them, and it seems like I'm losing that battle all the time. Who do you need to cheer for instead of be envious of? Because the truth is that there will always be people that are just gifted more than you, God has given them more than you. They have more in certain areas. And so their question becomes, can I still cheer for them? Even though I can't participate, can I still celebrate? I don't know about you guys. I want to be someone where if someone in my life or if one of you, if you guys have exciting life updates or if you have a win in your life, that I want to be someone that you enjoy coming to. And I can celebrate and I can be happy. and, And not just, man, I wish I had that but I'm genuinely thankful for what God has done in your life. And that should be our desire as well. And so we can learn to elevate others while being content with what God has given us. And so we want to learn to celebrate and be grateful no matter what. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, just who you are, God, you have made a way to deal with our sins so that we don't have to pay that penalty. We don't have to um, pay that price. But Jesus took our place as our substitute. And we thank you for that truth most of all. And I pray that that is the truth that drives us and we are thankful, we are grateful because we have everything we need in a relationship with you by trusting in Jesus. But I pray that you would allow all of us this morning to evaluate our hearts, to to just really put things into perspective. God, if there's someone that we're jealous of, if there's someone that we struggle with seeing as just a, a competitor instead of a brother or sister, God, that we would remove that mindset that you would bring us back to the truth of just that we have everything we need in you. Help us to remember that. Help us to celebrate more than we compare. And God, we just thank you so much for what you've done in our life. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.